The World's 50 Best Restaurants Award started life as a special feature in the March issue of Restaurant Magazine back in 2002. Over the past 10 years, the awards have grown in size and significance to become a major event in the culinary calendar, drawing both fans and critics alike. Whichever side you stand on, there's no denying that appearing on the list brings fame to a restaurant. But what kind of impact does it have on the business, and what does it feel like to be on the list? Richard Vines, UK and Ireland panel chair of the World's 50 Best Academy, shares his thoughts on impact. I think winning the award, particularly if you come top, has an incredible impact on the restaurant. I was talking to René Redzepi at Noma after he won the first time. He said he could, could have filled the restaurant for 10 years with the you know, applications he had for places within a week or two of the list. It's absolutely amazing the impact this has. And then, of course, coming back to Noma, you know, that has a kind of ripple effect on restaurants around there. Suddenly people think, oh, you know, Nordic cuisine or new Nordic cuisine and restaurants in Stockholm and other, um, other Nordic cities benefit from it. So I think it's, you know, it's huge. This isn't a list just for restaurant insiders. This is a kind of popular list, I think. But what about the more personal view? Aside from feeling pride about the fat duck's high placements on the list... Heston Blumenthal has often talked about the positive impact it has played on his business. When we'd gone from number two the first year, then to, num- num- to number one, I just, I just sat back and thought, I'm just, just going to enjoy it. It was a great feeling. Um, I didn't think, as I said, I said then, I don't think you can have a very best restaurant. But I think any human being and chef would not be being true to themselves if they didn't say it was a nice feeling. It was a fantastic feeling. And I have to say, it had a big impact on the business enabled us we'd, we'd had a, the year before we got the third Michelin star which had a really massive impact and then that bit I think um, I've said this before but that week that the Michelin guy was coming out I was in Madrid doing a presentation and the restaurant was dead during the week packed on the weekends but that's not enough to sustain um, what we were trying to do in terms of the running costs the staffing costs all this kind of thing and so the Michelin kicked it off and then to follow up following year with, with, with number one made a big, big difference. And for us, it was a huge difference because it enabled us to get the resources, both in terms of equipment, staff, increase the wages um, and bring in a, just to get a, and build a stronger team. So it has a really big impact, a really big impact on, on, on business for a restaurant. As with the Fat Duck, the three chimneys on the Isle of Skye, which was present on the list for the first two years, found that the accolade brought more than just publicity. The restaurant with rooms may soon have been overtaken by others, but owner Shirley Spear still felt the impact of the 50 best long after. We had struggled to raise the money to build the bedrooms a few years beforehand, and nobody thought we could ever uh, exist as a five-star restaurant with rooms in such a remote place. Nobody thought we could um, be open all year round. Nobody thought, you know, we could do what we had set our hearts on achieving. Um, You know, we'd struggled to get finance. We'd struggled to get as much as we needed. So all of this really helped boost the business probably beyond anything else that is comparable with any of the other restaurants who were already booming anyway. And um, it really did help to strengthen our whole, just our whole cause really and and everything that we had set in motion became very successful. It also, um, obviously to get that kind of publicity was amazing and as I say it it continued on for many years to come and still does but we've obviously moved on with it and you know but we've never forgotten the whole uh, ethos of being one of the best restaurants in the world is that you cannot pick up the three chimneys 
and replace it anywhere else. You, you cannot take it away from where it belongs and put it in the centre of Edinburgh or Glasgow or something and expect it to be the same, because it never would be. So it would appear that there are positive financial benefits to being on the 50 best list, but what does it actually feel like to hear your business is one of the best in the world? Spear and Blumenthal recall the moments they found out their restaurants were considered just that. I was in a hotel bedroom in London, having just been recording since early in the morning for BBC um, TV Saturday Kitchen. To be in London was unusual enough, but to be getting these weird messages asking me to confirm a quote for the press about how I felt about being on the top 50 restaurants of the world list was even more um, confusing. So I asked the PR lady to fax me through confirmation to the hotel before I would um, talk any more about it because obviously I had no idea and I couldn't understand who would have put it on the list. And I asked her who had judged it and who'd been part of the judging panel and all these sort of questions that were flooding through my mind. And I couldn't really quite understand it. I were in a, a tiny cottage restaurant, which is, you know, a converted uh, traditional croft house in one of the most remote parts of the Isle of Skye. So to be um, declared one of the world's top 50 restaurants uh, seemed utterly bizarre to me at the time. And there I was in London, hoping to go out that evening for a lovely dinner at one of London's top restaurants to experience what I thought was a real restaurant and not really expecting that that particular restaurant was actually, at the end of the day, going to be below me on the list of the top 50. I think we came in at 28 and they came in at 34 or something like that. So it was actually the most bizarre experience um, that I'd ever gone through and just had to think on my feet very quickly. I remember waking up and staying in the, the Mandarin after the event, waking up and seeing it on the news. And I just kind of lied there and I thought, well, you know what, I'm just going to enjoy this. You know, there is always an argument, there's so many great restaurants in the world and there's a group that most people would have in their top 50, let's say. And by the nature of these awards, there's always going to be some restaurants that don't make it that you think should make it. So... Um, there is always going to be a level of subjectivity. But for me, recognising that, you know, I said, I don't, I don't think you can have a very best restaurant. So with that in mind, I just, I'm just going to enjoy this year. Now, as we approach the revealing of the 2012 list and the 10th anniversary of the awards, what do restaurants need to do to both make and stay on the list? And what can we expect to see in the gastronomical world, both in the short and long term? I think being on the list for long term has a great impact for restaurants. But what's good about this is that there's a certain amount of movement the whole time, quite a lot of movement actually, and restaurants do drop out, and some of the really big restaurants from the early lists are not making the top 50 now, and it's not that they're any worse than they were, in fact I'm sure they're better than they were, but other restaurants have come along, and you know, standards are rising and new places are coming that people want to try. So it's great that it's not just the top 50 list now, it's so different from the way it was 10 years ago. This isn't perfect, I mean, that's one of the things I like about it, it's it's, you know, so many people around the world who are no restaurants, all voting individually. I've no idea what's won this year or what's in the top ten or whatever. So that's fascinating. So nobody can manipulate it. I like that. But, um, yeah, it's new. I think sometimes restaurants have to renew themselves a bit. And, you know, obviously keep doing new dishes and trying to, you know, excite customers. Because you have to excite people. There are a lot of restaurants people can enjoy and appreciate and respect. But sometimes you need something a bit new. I think the next 10 years, what's going to happen is we've gone through various phases over the last 10 years. So there's creativity, there's the 
molecular gastronomy misbrand. There is, um, um, then there's been ov- obvious sourcing of ingredients. There's been the, the, the morality and the welfare, so whether it's sustainability for seafood, animal husbandry, the purity of the way fruit or vegetables are grown. You know, these have all been areas that have gone through a period of growth. And I think what's going to happen is all this stuff's going to settle down and we'll have a fine balance of using all the tools available to us now. It's just being aware that still the most important thing is the quality of the produce. So it's all very well sticking something in a vacuum oven, but if, if you haven't not only uh, searched for the finest quality, worked with the farmer or the grower, and got a real innate understanding of that product, then it doesn't matter what you do, you're not going to have something great. So I just think it's, gonna, it's just going to even out. There is something, though, I think will also come through, which is for me is really exciting. Countries like mission Holland, um, obviously Scandinavia, Denmark, these emerging countries that are starting to take a real pride in, the, in their produce, but also in their culture. So I th- for me, if you look at history, I think it's really important. The best evolution only happens because of what's happened before. So if we talk about where cooking is now, molecular gastronomy before was Nouvelle Cuisine. So Nouvelle Cuisine only existed because of the classic French foundation that happened before that. It was not a revolution, it was an evolution. And then the cooking of today has been built on Nouvelle Cuisine. So everything evolves. You can only evolve when you've got respect for history and tradition. And I think the emerging countries are now seeing that and saying, actually, we don't have to all cook French food. What we can, we can use, there's a lot of this cooking is still based on classical French techniques. But I can use my style with these techniques, modern equipment, amazing local ingredients, and, and actually cook something that sings the praise of the country they're in.